0: I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And And we're we're The the Trade Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by
1: CSIS, where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys.
0: This week, uh, Trade Guys is talking about Africa. And, AGOA, and we have a special guest who is on-site in Johannesburg at the Ogoa Summit. Well, welcome, everybody. Trade Guy Bill here today. We don't have Andrew because we have a special guest, which uh, Scott and I are looking forward to uh, having a chat with. Our guest is uh, Zainab Lusmane who is a political economist based here in Washington. She is the director of the Africa program at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Prior to Carnegie, she was at the World Bank, initially as part of the Young Professionals program, and later as a public sector specialist. She also worked at the Blavatnik School of Government at the University of Oxford, and is consulted for the Department of International Development, which I assume is in the UK, and uh, has authored and edited several books where she's puts her way ahead of Scott and me, including economic diversification in Nigeria and the future of work in Africa. And we have Zainab with us because this is AGOA week and the AGOA summit is starting. And Zainab is coming to us from Johannesburg, the site of the event. Uh, So we're going to get an update and an on-site commentary on what's going on. And then a discussion of what ought to be happening here in the United States, which is what Scott and I focus on. So why don't we begin with a general question. Tell us what's going on in Johannesburg. Uh, Has the conference started yet? Has Ambassador Todd given any speeches? What's happening and what do you think's going to happen?
2: Thank you very much for having me, uh, Bill and Scott. Uh, I've been actually listening to your podcast for, I don't know, two, three, years, maybe more than that. So, uh, very glad to be here. Um, I am indeed in Johannesburg. I mean, we just, uh, concluded the first day of the, uh, a goal forum for this year. As you know, the forum tends to happen every, I think it's meant to be every year. There's a kind of tradition of, of trying to alternate it between the United States and uh, an African country. So this year it's happening in South Africa. And as you're probably aware, the decision to finally host the forum in South Africa was not without controversy, given uh, South Africa's very interesting relationship with uh, Russia with respect to uh, the war in Ukraine. So. Anyways, all of that is kind of water under the bridge, so to speak, and the uh, forum is indeed happening. Just today, we've had mostly some opening remarks from uh, the Department of Commerce. There was also the private sector forum co-convened by the Department of Commerce, as well as the Corporate Council on Africa, which is one of the main business associations within the United States focused uh, on Africa. There was also, very importantly, an African ministerial meeting of uh, ministers of industry and trade alongside uh, the regional economic communities as well as the African Union. And I thought uh, that meeting and its discussions were actually very, very crucial because unlike the other sessions, which were kind of very, very much around like policy dialogue and discourse and brainstorming, this was really around these African countries sharing their views on what they think the future of AGOA should be. So this is really just the first day. Tomorrow, the second day, there will be more high-level speeches. I think we have President Cyril Ramaphosa of South Africa speaking, we've got Ambassador Tai herself also participating in a number of sessions. So a number of high-level sessions, and then everything is gonna conclude uh, on the third day. So that's kind of where we're at. I think a few things I want to mention as follows, because there are developments happening in parallel here in South Africa, in the United States, and also kind of across across space, but also across time. So this week, there have been um, a number of developments. So the first one I want to mention is with respect to the discussion on the future of AGOA and uh, the key advocates of AGOA within African countries, but very importantly, within the United States, within the U.S. government, the Biden administration, the White House. I think there are a lot of key champions for the continuation and ensuring that AGOA The Africa Growth and Opportunity Act continues to exist. As you know, it is set to expire in 2025 within Congress as well, because at the end of the day, AGOA is an act of Congress. You know, any decision to be made about its future is going to happen in Congress. There are also key advocates. So uh, across both the executive and Congress, there have been strong statements of support for the continuation of AGOA on On November 1st, I'm kind of losing track of time here. The uh, President Biden announced that he's committed to supporting the reauthor, a timely reauthorization of AGOA. So timely being an important word here and then the reauthorization itself. Um, But this comes shortly after 12 senators in Congress in the United States issued a letter just a couple of days ago, also urging the leadership of Congress, both houses of Congress, by the way, to prioritize and authorization of agoa so these are 12 senators across party lines the republicans and the democrats so there's that strong kind of momentum in a sense at the same time and then i'm going to stop here because i'm hoping this kind of helps us set the scene for the rest of this discussion again just this week president biden again announced his intention to uh, suspend the privileges ago privileges of four african countries These are the Central African Republic, the Republic of Niger, Gabon, and Uganda for various governance and human rights challenges. Now, with the suspension or the announcement of intent to suspend the privileges of these four countries, it brings the total to eight, eight countries that have been suspended from AGOA since uh, Biden administration or since President Biden took office. And I would say that that is probably a record number of suspensions within like a two-year period. So that's kind of where we're at. It's very interesting. A lot of moving parts, I would say.
0: I did. I know that the same day that he suspended those four. Apparently, they restored Mauritania. It's oh, incredible. interesting. So, oh,
2: interesting. So, I missed that. So the net of three,
0: I guess you could look at it that way. Net of
2: three. Yeah. So seven, <laughs> in a sense.
1: Well, first, thanks for being on the program. Uh, this is really interesting. And you're kind of an on-the-scene reporter, which is really helpful to our audience. Uh, you made a point at, toward the end of your remarks about bipartisan support. Bill and I are both old enough to have worked on the original go authorization back in the uh, year 2000, right at the end of the uh, Clinton administration. And uh, it was one of the rare trade agreements that passed with overwhelming bipartisan support. There's always been this sort of consciousness about pan-African identity and doing things that are are helpful to commercial ties and helpful to development. Uh, And that showed up in congressional support all the way along as AGOA was authorized and then reauthorized over the years. Uh, so uh, that's a remarkable that it's retained that kind of political sport in Washington. Now, looking back over 25 years, can you look back and say, here's where it's really helped Africa. Here the, the kind of development upside that something like a Goa produces that, that I think would be interesting to our audience. Plus, and there are definitely examples. I mean, we get great wines from the Stellenbosch from South Africa, thanks to AGOA. Goa and a few others that you can pinpoint. But what do you think overall has been the effect?
2: Very interesting, very elaborate question. I think before I answer that question, I do wanna state a caveat. I am actually not a trade expert. In fact, I found myself working on a Goa in a sense by accident. I was <laughs> writing a paper on energy supply chains and I ended up doing a lot of research on a Goa because uh, with respect to energy supply chains and hopefully we'll come to that in a bit during this discussion. There are so many trade elements. So just, you know, something I thought to mention up front. Having said that, AGOA is such an interesting trade program because in a sense, when you look broadly at the relationship between the United States and Africa, AGOA is the principal basis The economic aspects of that relationship, when we're talking about trade and investment, really, Agoa is the main vehicle, so to speak, holds a lot of promise, whether that promise has been realized is really open to question. Which then brings me to the core part of your question, you know, kind of. Let's reflect on the past 20 years. I think, and maybe I can start with some of the negatives and then conclude on a more positive note, because I think there are a lot of positives. You know, when you look at the aggregate volume of trade between uh, the United States and Africa, I mean, you can look at the African continent as a whole, which is 54, 55 countries, but AGOA doesn't really cover all of those countries. But even for the sake of arguments, and let's put AGOA to the side, just US-Africa trade on a whole, uh, the numbers are really not encouraging. The trade trade with the continent, even if you include all of the 55 countries, including North Africa, is really less than 2-3% of total US global trade. Now, when you come specifically to Agoa, exports from Agoa countries constitute, I think, less than 1% of total imports from the United States or to the United States, sorry. So in a sense, you know, that is really not encouraging. You have to ask yourself after all these years, uh, why is there no improvement? And in fact, trade volumes between the US and Africa have basically been on a declining trend. The US recorded higher trade volumes, volumes with Africa before the year 2012. Mm-hmm. And that was partly because a lot of the imports from Africa were really fossil fuels, oil in particular, and specifically Nigeria. So Nigeria, South Africa, these are the, the largest trade partners of the United States in Africa. Then, of course, the United States became experienced the shale oil revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and those imports collapsed, but within like a year or two, and if you look at the numbers, it's just very dramatic. And since then it's really been on a declining trend. In fact, just in, in 2022 trade between. The US and Africa was just around $72 billion. Whereas when you compare trade between Africa and other parts of the world, and specifically I'm thinking about China here, which is now Africa's largest trade partner, you know, the the, the chart is actually like very interesting. Like you can just see the divergence. The numbers for China are shooting up, reaching a historic high of $282 billion in 2022. So, anyways, um, all I'm trying to say here is that the numbers. The aggregate numbers are really not encouraging. And I know I've I've heard arguments around D.C. elsewhere that, look, why do we even bother? We have a Goa, a gift to Africa, hasn't really been well utilized. Numbers aren't improving. You know, let's just move on. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is, you know, the utilization rates of AGOA among beneficiary countries, again, are not really encouraging. I can't remember what the numbers are off the top of my head, but in fact, just 16 countries out of, you know, what is it, 35, 36 that are eligible have utilization strategies. And then even among those that have utilization strategies, the actual numbers are very, very low. With the, you know, when you take out, there are like five or six-star AGOA performers in Africa. These are South Africa, Ethiopia, which is kind of not in AGOA anymore, but hopefully it's going to come back soon. So it's South Africa, Ethiopia, Kenya, Madagascar, uh, Lesotho. And Tanzania is kind of coming up as well, but all of the others, the utilization rates are extremely low. Like even, again, I, I think Nigeria is such an important country and interesting case study on this front, because Nigeria, beyond the oil and gas industry, has a very robust private sector, you know, with over, what is it, 44 million micro, small and medium scale enterprises, but it has just not utilized AGOA beyond uh, the oil and gas industry. Um, So the utilization rates among African countries is very, very low. So then you put these two together and I can go on and on. And then you keep asking yourself, really, is this worth it? And, uh, you know, the trade environment is even changing And within the United States now. Trade programs, trade initiatives, but specifically trade, traditional trade agreements are no longer in fashion, at least if we go by. What uh, Jake Sullivan mentioned in his speech at Brookings Institution. So, all of these do not really bode well for AGOA. At the same time, and this is why I get to some of the work we've done recently, I do think that AGOA is such an interesting and useful program with a lot of potential, but that it needs to be reimagined. It needs to be thought differently, and it needs to be, in a sense, recast for a new era. We, you know a new era of the global economy as it is today characterized by geopolitical competition a global economy in which most countries have to transition to a low carbon future and they have to build new industries particularly around clean energy or low emissions technologies and agoa i think provides the basis for really reimagining the relationship between the United States and Africa. So, you know, I'm hoping that these are the kinds of discussions that we have, and they are indeed coming up even in the forum right now, thinking about how to leverage Goa to be able to source minerals that are essential to the low carbon transition from Africa, which Africa has these minerals in abundance, but to ensure that these minerals are not just, you know, extracted from Africa without processing happening, but to make sure that there's some value addition that happens before they are imported into the United States. Thinking about pharmaceuticals and health supply chains, you know, these are some of the new opportunities that, you know, you can use an existing initiative and kind of recover it to meet our current priorities.
0: Let's look at that in the context of, of um, possible congressional action and talk about basically how to how to turn it into what we all would like it to be. Right. I don't know what needs to be done to do that. The immediate congressional debate is a clean extension. You know, we can argue about number of years, 10, 20, less, more, but leave it the way it is and just extend it but other people are saying well maybe we need to make some changes in it i think president biden's statement suggested that without specifying anything that there was room for improvement and i think particularly in, in the energy sector which also means minerals in this case it's obviously going to be an area of, of focus going forward for the united states with respect to more than one region of the world but particularly africa because they're not short of minerals what would you like to see change in a Goa that would unlock some of this potential that's, that's there that is not enabled right now with the existing statute.
2: So again, these are the the discussions going on. And I want to um, address your question in two parts. The first is, um, you know, what are some of the ideas that have already been put forward in terms of what needs to happen to ACOA? And then what, I would like to see that I think would make sense, uh, then there's an overlap between the two. So the first is that, yes, with respect to the discussions going on in terms of, you know, what should happen now. And I can, I can divide that in two. The first is really maybe to, to, to think about, you know, some areas where there's kind of broad consensus among Agawa advocates, which is basically that. A renewal and reauthorization needs to happen asap and this needs to happen because there's a need to help mitigate uncertainty Mm. faced by businesses and investors so you talk to investors and businesses and they tell you that they make their decisions uh you know five ten years out it's not like the, the Policy programming cycle where you decide six months, one year, two years. No, they actually need to know what's going to happen to a Goa to know whether they're going to invest for the next five years in Tanzania or Ghana or uh, any other country. So that uncertainty is really affecting um, a lot of businesses and then obviously the countries themselves. But then there's also the need to reauthorize this ASAP because the reality is within the United States, there's an election coming up, there's an electoral cycle and of course, you know, with electoral politics, um, you never really know and the key decision makers could end up just becoming very much preoccupied with other priorities. So I think overall, even from the discussions today, that's kind of a broad consensus, let's just get this done.
0: Yeah, but that's the, Um, everybody wants to renew it. What do you want to do this different?
2: So that's then where we get to areas where there's less consensus, which is what should be done differently when and how. And there it just, you know, it just starts to get very, very interesting because different people have different points of view. And I I think some of the key areas of debate and discussion are, are around the eligibility requirements for countries. As you know, now there are like four or five broad categories around, you know, having or making progress towards a market economy, political pluralism, uh, and a number of other factors, including an income threshold. If you pass that threshold, once you become, I think, we uh, pass a certain uh, GNI, you're no longer able to qualify for benefits. So, you know, a lot of discussion around either making those eligibility requirements stricter, Uh, There are those who would like to see even more conditions added, particularly around governance and human rights. And there are a lot of others, particularly a lot of the African countries, who argue that the requirements are actually too strict, which is why a lot of countries tend to get kicked out easily. Um, so, a lot of discussion and debate around that, and it's not settled. Um, then increasingly now, and especially in this forum, I've been hearing this coming up around expanding the number of products that are eligible for duty-free access to the U.S. market. So, as you know now, AGOA covers around 1,800 products including, is it uh, 5,000 products or so covered under GSP? But there's a lot of advocacy to increase the range of products, right? Um, uh, one that has come up, which is very, very interesting, particularly for Southern Africa, is around the export of beef uh, because there's a growing beef industry in Namibia, in particular in Namibia is now exporting to China, by the way, South Africa, you know, Botswana, etc. Then around confectionaries, then very, very importantly around uh, critical mineral Minerals, transition minerals. So here's the thing with transition minerals. Um- in theory, there aren't like significant restrictions to countries, uh, African countries exporting minerals and metals to the United States under Agoa. In fact, South Africa does this to a very large, large extent. Now, where it gets very interesting is because we now have countervailing legislation, in a sense, in the United States in, in the form of the Inflation Reduction Act, which makes it very clear that for electric vehicle companies to be able to benefit from the IRA tax credits, they need to source minerals, for batteries for those vehicles from either the United States or countries with a free trade agreement with the U.S. But AGOA is a unilateral trade preference program. It's not an FTA. So then the discussion and the debate now is, could there be a more liberal interpretation of the IRA to make uh, AGOA kind of have FTA-like attributes just for that purpose? Or should AGOA be used as the basis to negotiate a separate critical minerals agreement, which is a new type of agreement that USDR is now negotiating with a number of countries, the first one being critical minerals agreement negotiated with Japan in March of this year. And I think there are critical mineral agreements that are being negotiated right now with respect to the United Kingdom, the EU, uh, Indonesia, Philippines, they're also very interested. Right. So can you use AGOA a goa as the basis for a critical minerals agreement? And then the third is thinking about whether a goa, maybe this is kind of outside the scope of a goa, but maybe the Department of Treasury, for example, can issue guidelines that allows actually that allows AGOA beneficiaries to benefit from the IRA tax credits or at least companies US companies to be able to source minerals from AGOA beneficiary uh, countries so anyways these are some of the discussions around expanding the range of products that are eligible for duty-free access to the US market. And again, a lot of debate and discussion around that. So the final thing I wanna mention in terms of, you know, the changes or the enhancements to be made to Goa that are stirring up a lot of debate is really, and this is kind of the, you know, very big, very aspirational, and I think very ambitious, but thinking about aligning agoa with the africa continental free trade area so as you know the africa continental free trade area came into force i think about two years ago or so and it has now been ratified by i think over 50 african countries and in fact it is the world's largest free trade area by market by number of participants whereas the world's largest free trade area by market size is the regional comprehensive economic partnership in asia right so this this whole discussion and debate around if the african union has the AFCFTA and the AFCFTA is like a- flagship visionary project of the African Union for regional integration, for economic development, for industrialization, should we try to align AGOA in terms of the number of participating countries to align with the countries that have ratified the Africa Continental Free Trade Area? Now, that is a very 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 big and ambitious ask in terms of uh changes uh, or enhancements to be made to agoa so just to conclude on this particular question what would i like to see i think what i would like to see is definitely you know that consensus point around let's just reauthorize this as quickly as possible i think my own fear or my own worry is that trade agreements, trade deals, but then even trade programs are really hard to come by now. So maybe it's just tactful and pragmatic to make do with what you have and just try to, you know, enhance it and make it work better as time goes on. But beyond that, I think the other thing I would really, really like to see is, you know, whether there's a way to kind of you know, separate the governance and human rights concerns that are very, very valid uh, from trade instruments and trade initiatives. Because in many cases, you find that the two are not really, they do not neatly overlap. And I think about Ethiopia in this case. So, you know, with the human rights violations that happened during the war in Ethiopia, the last two, three years, those the, those violations triggered the, the need to suspend Ethiopia from Agoa. But the reality is, suspending Ethiopia from Agoa, I'm not sure it materially affected the behavior of the combatants in that conflict. What ended up happening was that industries closed down, women and uh, young people lost their jobs. You know, there are just industries, industrial clusters, uh, special economic zones in Ethiopia that have just closed completely. Whereas before that suspension happened, Ethiopia was the model for a lot of African countries with respect to special economic zones and industrial, in, industrial clusters.
1: history yeah. of sanctions is they hurt the wrong people, so. Yes, yeah. so, yeah.
2: so I'm just wondering if there's a way we can do a better job at addressing human rights and governance challenges that are very real, that are very serious with the right tools and not using something else to try to achieve another objective so i think for me that is going to be very very crucial um and then finally whether we can use and whether we can leverage agoa to really to take advantage of opportunities in new industries like the clean energy supply chains
0: yeah one of the um the issue of the the human rights issue is one we've wrestled with for for years Agoa is not the only uh situation where there's a dilemma here if you if you I mean it's very hard to be against human rights okay uh, and it's very hard to say that you know mistreating people or violence or the other things that are going on that, that lead to uh, removal from goa benefits or that those things are okay because they're not okay we all know that they are not okay but at the same time the action taken as you described tends to uh, not hurt the perpetrators it tends to hurt the innocent People, particularly women workers, who lose their jobs. So it is a dilemma, and I'm not sure there's a, an easy answer to it. We never had a, a good answer to it. Scott?
1: Well, the I mean, being, uh, being the American thinker here, which is America's, of course, revere winning uh, above all things, and it looks like we're losing and China's winning. And we probably ought to do something sensible about that. I'm certainly in favor of renewing Nagoa. And I think it's been a at least a touchstone of commitment to of American economic policy to Africa, we should definitely continue that. But in terms of what to go, you've raised wonderful ideas about how to do it. I'm not sure the political will is there, but it's clear that China's China has a much more successful model in Africa than the United States does at this point. And we
0: had to think about that. Let me come back to the, the minerals uh, energy question for a, for a minute. And you you alluded to this in in one of your comments that basically uh, you know this is an extractive industry, and most countries that uh, and I assume the African countries too, and you could correct me if I'm wrong that uh, have minerals to be extracted are interested in capturing more of the value added in country uh, rather than in shipping the raw material out, which. You know, the United States and others, I think, would be happy to buy the raw material. How can, is there a way that you can use AGOA to um, help the African countries capture more of the value added through refining, purifying the minerals, or through other, further uh, the downstream uh, manufacturing capabilities? And is that something that the United States uh, is even interested in at this point?
2: Starting with the first part of the question, again, worth reiterating that this is really not a new topic of discussion, especially when it comes to Africa, Africa, natural resources. I mean, this has really been a very kind of contentious issue for decades, some would even say centuries. Um, If you look at the national development plans of several African countries, and I can think of maybe three or four off the top of my head, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania immediately after independence in the 60s and the 70s they all talk about adding value to their mineral resources refining beneficiation technology transfer upskilling and all of those things so it's the same issue that is recurring more or less because we never, um,
0: we never
1: it. well <laughs> also because uh, look AGOA is a trade preference program it's a tariff preference program the issue yeah. of minerals is not tariffs the issue on minerals, particularly processing minerals, is investment. So, mm-hmm. using a trade preference uh, system to encourage investment yeah. is kind of has a has missing pieces right at the moment. You'd have to it does. That. I think that.
2: And, and it speaks to even other industries beyond uh minerals and extractive industries, right? Again, you know, you look at the entire discourse around Agoa, why it hasn't worked, and the missing piece is really investment. Mm. Thinking that by lowering or reducing or even eliminating tariffs, that is sufficient to achieve these other range of economic development objectives, I think, clearly has proven not to be the case. So a key point of discussion right now, even in this forum, is how do you associate trade liberalization and big again even going beyond AGOA discussions around the AFCFTA trade liberalization has to be accompanied by some kind of investment promotion so how do you encourage the investments and that is really a very live question right now and I think with respect to the United States this then brings us to another issue of seeing Africa as a destination for investment as a place where there could actually be commercial and economic relationships rather than the kind of poverty, humanitarian, mm-hmm. aid oriented relationship. And we've seen other parts of the world forge this kind of relationship with African countries. and Sometimes it gets a bit exploitative, but there are real commercial relations between many African countries and China, between increasingly Turkey. And China. You know, I think about Turkey and you go to several countries in the Sahel now, you find a lot of Turkish hospitals, Turkish schools, furniture stores, just they're really investing in service provision, right? So just to point to the fact that Africa can be and should be an investment destination. And a lot of American investors need to think of Africa that way. The opportunity is there, the potential is there. And now with respect to critical minerals and transition minerals, where there is the demand coming from the United States, there are national security imperatives to diversify supply chains from competitors like China and other parts of the world. Whereas Africa has these minerals in abundance, but uh, it needs investments and in processes.
1: Well, the more Turkish investors who are making a decent return on their investment will not be lost on American investors. So that's the, you've you identified the right first step is provide a yeah. decent return and protection of the investment and more investors will come because definitely you have the demographics and the uh, and the resources in Africa to justify more investment. But so that, that's a long path, but I think it's one more thing.
0: How big an issue is corruption in terms of, being a deterrent to new investment?
2: Corruption is definitely a challenge. I think the way I would see it is in terms of just making it difficult for processes to operate efficiently. So I think it introduces a significant amount of unpredictability you're an investor you go to a country and you're not quite sure what the process is and you know you're being asked to pay bribes and it's just kind of i think it's really around the uncertainty uh it's also around how corruption deprives governments of resources to invest in public goods to invest in infrastructure that investors would benefit from, you know, a lot of investors would tell you. In addition to a range of other challenges, like if you don't have good roads, then it just gets difficult to move Any- equipment, machinery, to move anything, uh, electricity, etc. So, like corruption, just kind of makes it difficult for governments to even provide uh, public goods, public services. Having said that, we've also seen parts of the world uh, in which. Corruption is still rife. I think about India, I think about Indonesia, where they still have been able to attract investments. They still have been able to achieve uh, significant progress. And I think the case of Indonesia here is very, very interesting because when we're talking about critical minerals, this is a country that is actually quickly going up the value chain with respect to one particular uh, commodity, nickel. Uh, it is now I think the world's uh, second largest refiner of nickel and this happened within like a five-year period. Uh, they're trying to replicate the same thing with uh, bauxite, etc. So, So, uh, you know, Indonesia, there are aspects of it, of that country that are very comparable to some African countries. I mean, the other thing I'll also mention is that at the end of the day, there are 54, 55 African countries. They're not all the same. There are countries where, honestly, corruption is very debilitating. You cannot do anything. But there are also a lot of countries that when you look up their rankings in various governance and Indicators, I think about Botswana. They actually rank higher than some lower middle income Asian countries. I don't wanna mention any country here. Botswana does very well. Namibia does very well on various governance indicators. They've never had coups. Uh, in fact, their mining laws are some of the most they're stringent, but they're also they don't deter investment because you can also have a stringent law that then deters investors and makes life difficult for them. Not. Investors are typically fairly happy in Botswana, in Namibia. You're not going to have your assets uh, expropriated uh, in one day or the law changed the next day. Um, So not all African countries are the same. And, you know, it's going to be very important for American investors to try not to also generalize like there's South Sudan, there's Nigeria, there's Botswana, there's Namibia, there's Kenya. And these are all different countries with different capabilities at different income levels, with different endowments, human capital assets, etc. So that's what I would say.
0: Well, we're about a time, I think. Scott, do you have any oh, last question you want to bring up? No, it's been very
1: helpful and it's great to get a report from the scene. Uh, and uh, to see that despite the the falling trade uh, volumes over the years and the relatively small share that uh, Africa represents of American trade, it's great to see there's interest it's great to see officials taking part because it's if uh, it underscores the importance of the relationships so but thank you for coming on
0: Thank you for coming and we'll be continuing to watch this because there's a you know, the window for congressional action is, is narrowing. And partly I'm a little bit discouraged because we've seen this movie before, which is everybody saying we need to do this. It's very important. And then nobody actually doing it. And then, uh, you know, one month before it expires, there's a straight extension without a lot of care and thought being given to it because the clock is ticking. I hope we'll do better than that this time. But the history of this is that, that everybody says it's important but uh, actually turning that into action has turned out to be difficult it tends to slip down the priority scale and as we all know on in the foreign policy area we do have other problems right now that are imminent and urgent so you know so we'll see how it plays out we may have you back on later on yes. when uh, if it looks like congress is actually going to do something and is going to get look at the issues of what might be done to uh uh, make it more effective. If they're going to take that seriously, then it might be good to have you back for another more detailed discussion. Absolutely. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: To our listeners, if you have a question for the Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at That's tradeguys at We'll read some of your emails and have the Trade Guys react to it. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.